Well, hey, friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. We're trying to find out what's God up to out there. What's it actually like following the Lord in the 21st century? And I'm excited to bring you our guest today. Before we get there, I want to remind you, uh, if you're looking for some sort of uh, new study, it's it's getting later in the year. Uh, maybe you're looking for a way to dig into the word in a new way. Um, I've got that eight-day experience, and now it's free. So you can just go out there to halfwaytherepodcast.com, and uh, I created this eight-day experience to help you dig into scripture in a more contemplative way. Um, just check that out. So our guest here today, um, he is the host of the Can I Say This at Church podcast. He is Seth Price. Seth, welcome to Halfway There. Happy to be here, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to connect with you uh, because uh, your podcast is one of the podcasts that I listen to um, when I get to listen to them anymore. I don't I don't have as much time as I used to, but yours, yours is one that I like to listen to. So I wanted to reach out and hear your story. We were joking a little bit ago that uh, you don't start a podcast called Can I Say This at Church without having a story. <laughs> no. Yeah, I guess I guess you don't. But but yeah, it's it's a fun story. That's, it, uh, but it definitely it's definitely tongue in cheek. But for those that know me well, sarcasm is my love language. So <laughs> tongue in cheek is right where I'm at. I love that. So that's fantastic, and I can't wait to uh, to kind of hear more about it and hear more about your mission with the show. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Certainly with the podcast, but where else God has you? And then we'll go back yeah. after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just me as a person, you know, I'm, I'm, I live here in central Virginia, right off the Appalachian trail, uh, right dead center, about you know, a half hour west of, of Charlottesville, you know, husband, father, the normal things. Uh, and then deeply involved in my church. I'm, we recently are, are going through, uh, at our church, a, a segment of time where we're, we're re, not rebranding, but we're, we're revisioning, like, where are we at in 10 years if we're still going to continue to be a church? Cause the writing for churches is on the wall and, we do a good thing. At least we feel like we do. And so what do we need to change? And, and, uh, recently at a meeting, the pastor had said, you know, if someone gave you an elevator pitch of why you go to church here, my answer was y'all give me a safe place and still allow me to lead worship on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. while I'm continuing the question, quote unquote, what is, what is biblical or what is true and what is right and what is holy. And a lot of churches, that's not the case. So, uh, you know, I attend a church that allows me to be open and honest about my questions. And then, yeah, I run a, I run a podcast as well. Um, every time someone comes onto the show, I'm always amazed that they said yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I've been doing it for over, what, a year and a half now and loving it. I don't think I can ever stop. I probably will eventually, but I don't <laughs> know that I could yet. Yeah, well, it's a little bit addicting, isn't it? It's kind of fun to talk to, talk to people. Yeah, I mean, if I just think back over like last year of my life, like the names of the people that I've gotten to speak with, mm-hmm. uh, I, it's just it's a privilege. Well, that, that's um, part of finding anything. Uh, people are so gracious with their time. Yeah, uh, in in a way that like if I emailed, I don't know, if I emailed, you know, someone else, someone quote unquote famous for other reasons, they don't care about me. But when you're talking about God, like these people are genuinely ready and willing and able to. This is important conversation. So we'll talk about it. Like if you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to talk about it. And it's, it's so, it's so heartening. Yeah. So you, you have some pretty big names. Like you've interviewed Brian Zahn. Has he been on your show a couple times? 
Yeah, twice. Yeah. yeah. So people like that, um, and I'm, you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but every time I'm, I'm really surprised um, and impressed at the level of guests that you're able to to bring on to talk about things. Me as well. <laughs> if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm honest, me as well. Uh, I love that. Cool. So the, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into kind of why you started the show as we get going, because I'm, I'm have no doubt that that's part of your story, but, uh, take us back then. So what was it like for you growing up as a, you know, as a kid, are you from, you said you're in Virginia now, are you from there originally or? Uh, no. So I was born in Texas and then my family lived in California. I've seen pictures, although I'm not really old enough except for a handful of memories there in California. Then we went to Washington as a young child and my dad was a pastor there at a church. And then he left the ministry and my family moved back to Texas, you know, where the safety net is in the family. Mm-hmm. I spent all of my, you know, what we call your formative years, you know, in the middle of, well, I, li- I grew up in Midland, Texas. Uh, so right there, central heartland of America, Texas, Midland is not a, a, a misplaced word. Like it literally is in the middle of the continent yeah. in so many ways. So it's a huge city in the middle of the desert. Um, but yeah, I grew up, you know, Western Texas, uh, Friday night lights for those listening, that is my hometown, not the <laughs> show on the CW, the movie I played in those stadiums. So that's kind wow. of frame of reference. That's the culture that I grew up in. Yeah. So Bible Belt, was your dad, you said your dad left the ministry, but you, so you grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, we didn't go to church a lot after my dad and my family, you know, moved back to Texas. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's baggage there. My dad and I have never really talked about that much. Um, we talk about God quite a bit, although we don't agree as much as we used to, but that's okay. Nobody needs agreement is not necessary to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't, we didn't go, I went to church more than they did probably, um, specifically after I got, you know, I was able to drive and, and, and stretch my wings. So if I'm honest, Eric, I went to church because that's where the pretty ladies were. Um, <laughs> no doubt. not why I stayed to church, but if I'm entirely honest, um, and I won't name them here, but they're, yeah, it's just, I, I was a kid. I was a guy and yep. you know, it's, it is what it is. I don't think that's an unusual story at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. So cool. All right. So you, you started going to church. So when did you actually decide to make your faith your own? How did that happen? Uh, that, I guess, so you say make it your own. And by that, you mean different from my family's? Yeah. Like when did it become, when did you give your life to Christ? And then when did that kind of become something that you realized you were really committed to? Yeah. Well, I remember, well, I got baptized when I was little, uh, but I don't really remember that being impactful in my life. And so a part of me wonders, was it? And so I really remember, you know, back at that church, you know, youth group where I'm from in Texas is where Mercy Me, for those that have seen that I Can Only Imagine movie, mm-hmm. all those little youth events they were doing, that was one of mine. Matter of fact, my wife was impressed um, that I knew so many of the lyrics with songs that she didn't know that were in that movie, but that's because they did our youth events. Wow. Um, and I can remember they sang a song, um, and I can't remember the name of the song, but the lyrics are just about a guy being washed out at sea, tossing and turning, and there's no sight of land, no salvation, and then he meets God. And I remember that song distinctly. Uh, and that was when I you know, went forward, talked with Jesus, did all this stuff, but that would be the evangelical conversion story, I guess. But that was in high school, and it was an entire 180 for me. Like I, I acted differently. People noticed. 
Um, but I had a good community that I was plugged into at church there. And then that led me to going to Liberty. Uh, I, I'd already, you know, been on the West coast. I'd been in Texas and the way I'm wired, I just need to see if I can do things for myself. I, I don't really like support groups much or, or safety nets unless, unless necessary. So I went to Liberty and my faith didn't really change a lot at Liberty until I was maybe a senior or so. And one of the nice things about Liberty is they force you to have to volunteer in the community and do community service uh, as a Christian work. And if you don't, you actually can't graduate. But it was through some of that and then some really close relationships that I developed at Liberty after I got out of college and, you know, found out that the world is different than what the, you know, what the Bible culture will tell you. That mm -hmm. not everybody that isn't Christian, they're, they're not all terrorists and they don't all hate Jesus and they are entirely loving. Uh, but my worldview began to break, you know, as, as what I was told didn't really match with what I saw. Uh, and then it really came to a close for me when uh, my kids were born. It just redefined the way emotions worked in my brain and redefined the way that emotions worked in my heart. And it forced me to deal with some things emotionally that I don't think I was prepared for. And it, it, it broke apart my faith for a few years. Oh, yeah. Well, I like to talk about those stories because I think that it's a much more common story than we're often led to believe. Um, so part of my thing is I think that that because uh, what what I hear you saying, I guess, let me go back there, is you kind of had this, you learned Jesus, you learned the faith in a certain way. And liberty is certainly one of those places, right, where you're going to get the standard evangelical party line, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then uh, you had to kind of, you found yourself in a world that was different, and then you had to, you had to kind of reevaluate and realign kind of where, where is God, what is God actually what it was actually happening here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in so many different levels, like, right. You know, in science and in culture and in politics and, and just in everything, it was inescapable, just inescapable. Uh, and so I checked out for a while. Like, yeah. I, I'm good at faking it. Never actually left church, but entirely checked out for a while. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause a lot of people do, right? Like right now that is a, a huge thing that concerns a lot of church leaders is that people are leaving church. And I, I think one of the reasons is because they're not getting the kind of answers or experiences that they would like to have, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So, okay. So take, take us into that. Um, take us into that kind of that moment and what it, like, I don't know if there's a story about, so you, you mentioned your kids, um, not rewiring mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff in your brain. Tell, tell us some stories about how that, began to kind of break down your worldview that you'd, you'd built up? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to borrow badly, paraphrase some stuff from Richard Rohr. And so, uh, you know, even as a married man, you know, as uh, relatively successful in a career, I've been married for a few years. I worked well with every, I played well with everyone at my church and everything could be binary. Like I didn't have to intentionally engage in things if I didn't want to. And if anything, you know, when my son was born, uh, you know, it causes me to deal with questions that didn't exist in my marriage when we got married. Like things that you thought you had talked through are entirely different when you're sleep deprived <laughs> and when there's a human that the results of the conversation impact another created person. Right. Like, so, like what? 
like like parenting or like how I'm going to answer questions when he asks why everybody doesn't have the same last name because logically that's what happens with if Adam and Eve are real people like just <laughs> simple questions I found that as he got older um, I was way faster to get angry way quicker to get I don't know how to say that I was I, I would I would just flip the switch immediately which my wife would say is because he's just like me. But that's not what Christians are supposed to be. You're supposed to be slow to anger and entirely forgiving, and that wasn't me. And so I realized how badly I was following Jesus, um, and I didn't really care to deal with it, but I knew that it needed to. And so there's so many stories like that, They're just mostly stuff with my kids and then how that would infer into my marriage where I felt like I can say this, and I know the right answers, but if people actually saw the way that I live, it is not anywhere close to those answers. And so I'm either a really bad Christian or I'm not one at all. And then as I guess that's why I started the podcast, but or one of the reasons, but I'm, I'm the kind that when I find a problem, I need an answer. Even if the answer is uncomfortable, I need one. I have to have it. Uh, and so I just began self-evaluating, you know, if I'm going to do this and do it right, I can't fake this anymore. And, and, and if anything, Christian church in America is entirely easy to fake. You just have to show up, toe the line, answer with Jesus, only talk <laughs> about Paul, and we're fine. <laughs> but those answers don't work with a five-year-old. Right. You can't explain the gospel to someone at that level using non-Christian terms. And I was wholly inadequate and unprepared to do so. Yeah. That's really interesting. So why do you think that is? Because the church doesn't—I've talked about this in my pastor—the church doesn't do a really good job at, at orthopraxy, to use a fancy word. Mm-hmm. We do really good at orthodoxy, like believe this and come back next week. Believe this and come back next week. But I don't think a lot of pastors, because they're afraid to run people off, preach messages or teach things that cause you to doubt. Because they don't want you to doubt. I need you to come back and tie it. Like, my light bill depends on you coming back. And, you know, my kid's belly depends on you coming back. So I just inherently think that the way that at least the churches that I were involved in, I'm sure there are churches that do it well. Um, Not the church I went to as a youth. Uh, They just don't train people to go into the real world in a way that I can see things in a bigger view as opposed to A or B. You know, not everything is evangelical or not. Not everything is Catholic or Protestant. Not everything is Democrat or Republican. Everything is nuanced. And if you don't know what your biases are, you don't have a way to deal with them when you realize that you have them. Right. I I think our biases have been um, framed in terms of they are true because they are biblical. Right? (laughs) Right. And so... Yeah, air quotes, biblical. Right. And so, yeah, well, there's a... Yeah, that's something you talk about sometimes. (laughs) Like, what, what does that really mean? Um, yeah, we can, we can go a long time on that. We won't, <laughs> uh, but it gives us a false sense of being right. You know, like mm-hmm. it, I'm, I'm because this Bible says this, then I'm, I'm totally right. Uh, but then, you know, we may or may not actually have the original meaning if that's mm-hmm. what we're after. So, yeah, I like, I like, appreciate what you're saying because I think it is a problem. We, you know, you're talking about the difference between the content of our beliefs and the practices that we use to sustain those beliefs. Yeah. And I think it, you're right. We don't really do a great job of 
of helping people with that. We say read the Bible and pray, but we don't really ever teach anybody how to do those things. Right. And, and that's a problem. So, okay. So this was a problem for you. This kind of sets you on to this quest, right? Of trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to, you know, how, how am I going to deal with that? So what steps did you take? What did you, what did you do? Uh, well, for me, so from Liberty, and there are a lot of people like me that have come out of Liberty. Most of them just disengage. Many don't huh. choose to stay involved in the church. I, I, I can tell you so many stories oh, that, that aren't mine. That's really uh, interesting. Of that over and over. Uh, well, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, it's a, and I'm sure it's not just Liberty. I'm sure Oral Roberts and Pensacola and Azusa Pacific, you know, other schools that have a religious, an implicit religious bent have the same issue. But um, it can't just be liberty. There's no way. The um, but I made so there's really four to five really close friends, and these are friends that like if I was struggling with pornography or if I you know if if they and their spouse were having an issue and were thinking about divorce, like these are the people that I call. And so I was just open with them, and what I loved is we talked. Some of this is in a huge thread that it, you can go back and search. And it's been really helpful to see how people have grown over the years or how they've changed uh, or to call me out on my crap sometimes because that happens as well. And I was able to openly doubt in a, in a, in a private group, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get badgered. I didn't get told I was wrong. Instead, what I got told was, if you need somebody to talk to about this, I'm here. I don't have any answers, but if you need to get it out, get it out. Um, and over the course of years, you know, I took notes. I broke things down. I dealt with inconsistencies and I just tackled one thing at a time. Like one of the first things I tackled was whether or not Mary is a virgin and whether or not that even matters. If it's a question that needs to be asked for me to believe in Jesus. And then that led to the next one, which led to the next mm-hmm. one, um, which ultimately is what led to the podcast. But without that small group of friends, I have no doubt that I would not be a follower of Jesus today. I would have eventually become frustrated and checked out. Um, so I guess in a way they, they are as equally responsible for whatever I am now for good or for bad. Well, how important community is, right? You know? Oh yeah. And I think it speaks to the, the need to hold that space for people. That's a, that's a phrase I keep hearing around hold space. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I really like it because it just, it doesn't, it communicates something different than, uh, I, you know, okay, tell me what your problem is and I'll fix it. You know, mm-hmm. it's more like, well, tell me what your problem is and let's sit with it together and let's be in it. And it, it involves us kind of coming alongside. Um, so you had friends who would, who would do that for you. Yeah. Uh, how did yeah, you, and, and still do. I mean, we do that and we've done that today. <laughs> we've, we've had a conversation today on, you know, the church's complicity in racism and what do we do about it? We don't have any answers. We're still nuancing it, and nor do I think we'll have any answers. The fact is we're talking about it. We're not sweeping it under the rug in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's one way to put it. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, well, so I, that's interesting. Cause I th- so just along those lines, I think that um, – yeah, so you mentioned like binary, right? So one of the problems is, is it's not quite as clear as and and clear cut, I guess, as a, as we'd like to make it. Um, you know, so whether it's that yeah. issue or, or I don't I don't know about the Virgin Mary thing. Where'd you come down on that? Uh, so personally, I've come down on 
if you need her to be a virgin for you to believe that Jesus is divine, then I'm all good with that. But the minority of the Gospels say that she is. One of those Gospels um, basically proof texts the prior Gospel, and many of the Church Fathers, and, and also Paul, which everybody loves Paul in the Western Church, <laughs> aren't really ultimately concerned with that. So whether or not you want to nuance, was he adopted as the Divine Son, uh, you know, when he was baptized? Uh, was he born that way? It doesn't matter to me. I do know that Mary's lineage doesn't trace back to David. Joseph's does. Um, I do know that I worship a God way bigger than that needs to matter. But I know for so many people, that matters. Uh, for me, that question is hinged upon whether or not we were born sinful, uh, which goes all the way back to Augustine and other patristic mm-hmm. fathers. But um, that's a different conversation. And if that's the reason, and I believe that, but that's the reason that most people hold that view because of an original sin kind of view, um, they're shifting goalposts or shifting fields. And so I would rather tackle that. Um, but I don't personally hold that, G- that Mary was a virgin. I'm totally fine if she was, but for me, that does not impact his divinity in any way, shape, or form. Um, nor would I think that Paul cared, because if he did, I think he would have said something. Or John, or Mark. I think they would have said something, but they don't. Yeah, right. That that all comes on much, much later, right? Which, yeah. You know. Interesting. Okay, so I'm... I'm probing for something here and maybe we'll, we'll get there. What are some of the other issues that you, you had to tackle? Uh, uh, young earth creationism or is Genesis literal? Okay. Uh, was, was a big one. Um, uh, what to do with the Deuter- uh, with the extra canonical text, you know, all the Apocrypha. Why does the Catholic Bible have Maccabees and mine doesn't, as well as many other books? So canon was a big thing for me, mm-hmm. uh, which ultimately led me to inerrancy. Um, yeah. which is probably the biggest. If you want to get kicked out of a church and wonder <laughs> what you can't talk about, um, the virgin birth is on the list. Is the Word of God this Bible, these 66 books that I hold in my hand? And if it is, what does that say about our Catholic or our Episcopal or our Ethiopian Orthodox brother and sisters? You know, um, how arrogant of... Well, yeah, that's that's a soapbox. But, <laughs> um, but so really inerrancy is probably the thing that I get in the most trouble for and whether or not the scripture is inerrant. Yeah. But, um, but once I tackled inerrancy, it really freed me up personally, uh, to not have as many problems because I'm beginning to see intentional nuances in the scriptures that I think is the point that you're supposed to wrestle, you know, as you're supposed to wrestle with God, like you're supposed to chew on this and intentionally think on it and pray on it and see how it changes you. It's not a rule book. Um, and so many of my people that believe, or my, my friends that believe in inerrancy, it, it becomes a rule book. It's not a book right. intending to help further shalom in, in the world. It's a book about me pointing a finger, which is entirely missing the point. Though I can understand where they're coming from. I mean, I spent the bulk of my life that way. Yeah. So. Right. I'm not even sure the Bible is a love letter. It's a. I think the Bible is the best words that humanity at the time had to talk about an entirely, to talk about a God that is so big that we don't have words to comprehend him. But that has limitations. Like we don't have words to talk about God at a way that is adequate enough to describe him. This is the best attempt that we have. It doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean it's good. 
doesn't mean it's quote inerrant either, but it's definitely worthwhile and worth digging into and worth wrestling with. But it's the best that they could do with the knowledge and the vocabulary that they had at the time. Yeah. Okay, that that's an interesting theological point we could we could delve into, but I want to ask one other question because I'm I'm going mm-hmm. somewhere. So, uh, for like Genesis or the creationism thing. So, go back to that. Like, what what did we decide about that? Uh, I don't think Genesis is 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 literal in in the sense that somehow I'm going to blend these two different creation stories into one and teach that from the pulpit on Sunday. Because uh, I'll tell you right now, you'll confuse a five year old if you do that. I've seen it <laughs> personally happen. Uh, I, I I think that it is entirely a metaphor of the way that uh, a culture at the time viewed the created world to be ordered, uh, entirely influenced by, you know, other cultures and other religions of the time, uh, you know, while people are writing this out of exile. And and I think that because there are so many other things, you know, the themes of exile, um, so many other things that are alluded back to. And intentional Hebrewic words that have been, you know, inserted in there that Paul alludes back to, you know, Adam and Adam, like everything has an intention. And to read it in a literal way is a way to read it. But I think you learn the smallest amount if you read it that way. But I don't think it's six literal days. And I don't know, honestly, at least some of the Jewish scholars that I spoke with, neither do they. And if I'm going to defer to anyone's judgment um, they've been wrestling with this text far longer than anyone in the Western church has, you know, this, this their entire you know, civilization is founded upon it. <laughs> so, right. Um, but I don't, I don't need it to be six literal days. Cause I, again, I don't think much like the virgin birth, that doesn't matter for who God is. And if it matters to you, that's fine. We can wrestle with it, you know, at a personal level. But if that doesn't, alter the way that I do what I'm instructed to do as a follower of Jesus. I don't see how believing in six literal days or six epochs or believing that it's an, a metaphor should change the way that I love others as myself and the mm. way that I love God, like the way that I treat my neighbor. I don't see it impacting that. So for me, it becomes kind of a non-issue. Yeah. Okay. So that's exactly what I was, what I, where I thought you would probably go, because what I see is this theme in, uh, in what you're, what you had to discover is that God is actually much bigger than you had been told than you had believed. Right. So in each one of these issues, the issue really is sort of immaterial. What you were wrestling with is, I mean, it's important, but you had to decide is God, the small God who only creates in six days or might he have something bigger because he is bigger that I can't understand, but this helps me try to understand about something about who he is. Right. Same thing with the virgin birth. Um, you know, I, I still, still hold to that, but, uh, I wrestle with it sometimes. Um, and the, and then inerrancy is, is kind of where it goes again. You have to go, okay, what is this really for? Is this for God to reveal himself to me or is it to tell me what to do? And if it is God revealing himself to us, that's, that's what God wants. Then that needs to tell me something about him. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and to and to stress that point a little more that you just made about God being bigger, the universe is still expanding. We can observe this. I worship the God that created the universe, and so if the universe is expanding, so should my knowledge of God, and mm-hmm. so is God. Like if he's, it, it, it's all expanding. There's no way that I could possibly contain him in any amount of words. Every time that I or you or anyone talks about God, the best we're grasping at is a metaphor. 
it's always the best we can do is always a metaphor. And the best representation that we can talk about God is who Jesus revealed himself to be, which still is so small. Like that's literally the best way we can describe God is what happens when he becomes a human. Right. It's always a metaphor, always a metaphor. Yeah. Well, that's really a, it's the best we can relate to because we're used to relating to people. Right. Uh, But Jesus brings the fullness of who God is to show us who, who he is um, so that we can, we can see it. Yeah. I think that was, that was one of those things for me too, that was very powerful when I, um, so I went to seminary here in Denver and uh, when I had to write my big paper about what I believed, writing about revelation and realizing that Jesus is the full revelation of God and then scripture. um, And then having to even add like miraculous kind of things. Uh, mystical experiences onto that list of ways God reveals himself was kind of eye-opening because I hadn't been taught that really ever in, in a whole lifetime in church. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so so you're asking these questions. You're discovering that God is bigger. You have a safe place to do that. What is it, uh, so where does that kind of kind of take you? Well, uh, for me, it took me to honest conversations with my wife. I can distinctly remember having a conversation with that small group of friends. And that's honestly where the name came from. I, I think it was Josh that said, what if you asked your pastor this? I was like, I don't know. I don't think I can say that at church, which offhanded. I just wrote it down. Yeah. As I read back through the notes, that's where the name kind of came from. Like, I don't know that I'm allowed to ask this. He's like, well, you're at the wrong church. Uh, and so now I ended <laughs> right. up asking my pastor, and I remember him saying, uh, you know, Barrett said, you know, unasked questions are entirely more dangerous than badly answered ones. So don't take anything at face value. If you're looking for an answer, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you resources and we'll go through this together. But if you're looking for me to give you an answer, that's not how this is going to work. Um, and so that's kind of where all that led, you know, a few years ago, four or five years ago, um, well before I started recording anything. Um, but that led me to give me permission to begin documenting where I was at, which has been a blast to go back and reread through some of those things. Um, what what I mean, do you it ultimately resulted in me needing to do it in a way that the only way for me to keep it honest was for me to do it publicly. So, Oh yeah. Okay. So what do, what do you, when you look back, back at it now and you go through those notes, like what do you see in yourself? Like what do you, uh, yeah. So, well, the notes were written mostly to me. And so what I see is an honest, a more honest version of me that mm-hmm. I'm just now beginning to be able to articulate because I still used to care. I still slightly care, but I used to care way more about what the people in the pews, um, what honestly my wife thought. Like I cared more about what other people thought about how I viewed God and scripture than I did about what God thought about how I viewed God in scripture. But as I go back through the notes, that was really the only place I was honest and it's in a documented way. And so I can see myself working through things and chewing on things in a very honest way. Um, which usually we don't keep record of that kind of stuff. For me, it's been so beneficial, um, to navigate growth, but to also navigate things that I'm continually wrestling with, like things that I've been dealing with for years, just continually navigate those things. Um, but I like, I like having the documentation of it because I find those words are the the most true version of me because they're written to me with no filter. Yeah. Wow. Okay, friends, if you didn't catch that, um, you know, journal your your conversations with God or your conversations about God. 
even if you're just making a few notes, it comes in so handy later, particularly if you want to want to look back at a period of your life and go, what was going on then? Or what, what do I see? So, you know, Seth says he saw just himself wrestling, being honest, which, you know, maybe he didn't have the opportunity to do previously in churches or didn't feel free to do. Um, that's really interesting. Seth. I think that's like, that's a, I think it's really bold actually. And it's unusual. I uh, hope it's not that unusual. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. sure. Well, I, I think it's sad maybe that's unusual, but I'm, I think that most people don't, um, well, they certainly don't document it, but they don't even think to ask the questions, you know, mm-hmm. they're just happy to, until something happens usually. Yeah. And and then they have to kind of go into that, which I guess is part of the journey. So, um, yeah. So what, what, um, so what did this learn? What did this teach you? I was going to say, what did this learn you? That's not okay. Um, what did this teach you about, um, about kind of where, how, how you interact in the world and how you interact with people who maybe aren't Christian? Uh, well in the world, it's taught me to have a lot less answers than, you know, a decade old version of me would have had from 10 years ago. Like I, I genuinely have much less answers for other people. And I honestly care less and less about the answers. And the reason I say that is I've recently been going through like how many answers did Jesus give? And he hardly ever answers questions directly. Like you ask, they ask him a question. Let me tell you a story about a guy that bought a field. Let me tell you why. It's not an answer Mm -hmm. to the question. It's just, it's just another metaphor talking about your heart. And so as far as the world, like I, I become way more patient, especially with those that don't hold the same views as me because I find that they often often have some truth that I'm just not privy to. It doesn't mean that I'm going to adopt what they believe, but what they believe has some form of value or, or they wouldn't hold it. Like it has value to them. And so that should have some importance when I'm talking with them. And so I've found that my conversations with just random people, you know, people anywhere on the street or at a restaurant, I had one with a guy in the airport a few weeks ago flying back from Texas. We got to talking about his religious upgrading because he was watching me read a book uh, that I love. And we got to talking and just talked about God for two hours on a plane with a random stranger and nobody <laughs> yelled at each other. And so uh, I've I've become so much more patient with others and I have so few answers, but it's making me learn a lot more. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, okay. So eventually you, you started a podcast. So you kind of jotted this down. Can I say this at church? How did that turn into a podcast? How did it turn into one? Yeah. How did, um, how did that get, well, how that seed so get planted? My original goal was to basically take my journals and I've got reams of paper where I've written out all of this and, and just pick themes. And so I began to organize them and just talk in the microphone about what I'm learning, how it's changing me and why. And I quickly realized that I don't know enough to do this well. And I'm the type of person, if I'm going to do it, I'd rather do it well. And so instead, like when I wanted to talk about, you know, inerrancy, I read around and like I emailed Jared Bias and said, can we talk about this? I'm a fellow Liberty alum. Let's do this. And he said, yes. And so I had intended it to be of an indefinite length, maybe 15 or 20 episodes of just me working through my journal in an audible way. If for no one else, for me to be able to listen to 
and have other points of reference and hear things that maybe I said out loud that I didn't write down as I'm still working through what I've written down about how I'm viewing and changing in God. And I realized I didn't have the knowledge base. So I just reached out to people that hopefully did on specific topics. And then I just let the conversation go wherever it went. I honestly didn't really, didn't expect anybody to like it. And I was wrong. <laughs> and it continues to grow. Wow. Each month and right. um, that's a blessing. But I honestly did it for me. Like I needed to get it out. Uh, you say things differently when you say them as opposed to write them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if everything that we're talking about in truth is a different facet of God, um, I needed to have another part of the part of the rock to look at another facet to look at to chew on and to pray about yeah um yeah and then you know so i put it on itunes because friends want to listen and whatnot uh and then it turned into something else entirely yeah yeah well i think that's a fascinating approach uh to kind of just go through the things you wrestle with what i like about what you do is it's really clear that you are a thinker right that you're you've wrestled with these ideas and so you have um you know, you. I think you faithfully represent a traditional view, um, which is good. Not everybody's always fair about that, right? Um, but then you also will have the conversation and ask the harder questions to to dig in without being afraid of of those things. So, I think everything that uh, you, know, you shared here about your your kind of wrestling with the kind of traditional positions you've received uh, really comes through in the show. Yeah. Um, good heartening to hear. I don't always hear that. So it's yeah. heartening to hear. I usually hear that I'm a heretic, but it's funny. I don't usually <laughs> tell people what I believe on the show. I ask, you know, if I had you on, Eric, I'd ask you what you believe. Yeah. Uh, so it's odd that people call me a heretic, I guess just because I'm entertaining the idea. Yeah. Right. Uh, because you're giving views, them a platform but, and yeah. and you're, you're putting it out there. Uh, yeah. You know what? I haven't, I haven't had anybody call me a heretic here. So that's good. Um, so yeah, no. I guess I'm not doing the same kind of work, but that's all right. <laughs> well, I would say congratulations because it's, <laughs> it's always it's always hateful. Like I asked my wife a few days on the a few days ago, like Sunday. I think she's at the kitchen table, and I got two different emails. One saying I appreciate you, blah blah blah. I'm able to reengage in church in a way, and I found a church that lets me ask similar questions. To which my mm. response was awesome. Let me know if I can help. That's that's amazing. And I got an email a few days a few a few hours later saying you're leading people into destruction. Um, you know, literally hell is the consequence. You should really reevaluate your life choices to paraphrase it. Uh, and I asked my wife, I was like, which one of these is it? She's like, neither one of those is true. Stop overthinking it. <laughs> right. It's like, and that's, that's why I love her. Like, stop overthinking it. Neither one of those is the truth. So that is yeah. good advice. Good advice. Yeah. So you so you said it was growing. So I, I would, I wanted to talk about that because it sounds like, you know, you've kind of struck a chord. What do you make of that? Because I don't think you're the only one asking questions. Uh, why? You mean like why it struck a chord? Yeah. Why? So why are people? Why are people? Why does this resonate with people? Um. Well, I guess I don't. Well, I'll give my view on that, but I don't know if it's true because I've never really asked listeners. Maybe I should. Actually, that's a good call to action. I might do that. <laughs> but I honestly think that it resonates with people. Uh, because what my close friends have said is I rarely tend to have an agenda. And so I'm approaching the conversation with like, I literally have questions and and the questions aren't pre-planned. They're usually right in conversation. And I'm not out to get the guest. I'm not out to get a soundbite to hurt somebody. I'm genuinely need somebody to help me. And I think that comes through hopefully in my voice or in the questioning of I'm, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I have this figured out. 
nor do does the guest. And hopefully the ones I bring on don't think that they do, you know, or at least don't come off that way. Um, but honestly, I think it's just that. Like, I, I feel like I hope that people can hear that I'm not out to get anybody. I, I'm, I'm trying to be as genuine and as transparent as possible, which I think is rare. Everyone tends to use their platforms to benefit themselves. And I still don't personally care if the podcast benefits me. I know I don't make any money for it. It barely pays for itself. Yeah. Um, I know there are way more destructive and or expensive hobbies than talking about God. So it's a good use of my time. Uh, and, and so I guess it goes back to that. Like I just, I'm genuinely asking genuine questions that are not intending to lead to anywhere, but further growth. And I think so many other people are, are intending for there to be a conclusion and I'm not interested in a conclusion. Yes. Okay. So this is why, uh, I, I really wanted to have you on the show and I want to talk about it. Cause I think you're right. I think what you do is you have the space to ask the questions and without teaching, um, or without, without requiring that people come to the same conclusion. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so one of the reasons I started my show is because I realized in, so I had a, I have a spiritual formation background, but I was looking at iTunes and I realized the top 10 in iTunes on the Christian category are all preachers, right? They're all teachers um, and good people. You know, I'm not denigrating their ministries. They're doing what they're called to do. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But there's no wonder that the world thinks we're preachy. If that's all we're putting out there is preaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I want to do some stories. And so that's why, you know, we do what we're doing here. Um, but that's, so I think you contribute to that in a different kind of way, right? You in a questioning kind of let's, let's take this deeper than face value. And, um, and so I think that's why it's popular. I think people are actually really hungry for it. I think they've gotten enough of kind of the teaching. They get that pretty much everywhere. And they're ready to kind of dive in and go go deeper with the Lord in a way that doesn't require them to have these certain beliefs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's something God's doing in, in this particular age, which is fascinating, right? Yeah. I mean, I got, so you're actually the second interview this month, which was humbling for anybody to ask, but someone had asked on the other one. You know, the, the millennial generation, and I assume that you're similar in age, just looking at your profile picture, that's an entire conjecture, and I'm happy to be wrong on that. <laughs> uh, that, like, from everything that I see, and I ask the question to so many different guests, like, will there be a church for my kids? Like, fast forward 30 years, what will it yeah. do? And unapologetically, and without even thinking, all of them say, no clue, but probably not. Or whatever it is will look nothing like it does now. Yeah. And it's so sad to me. So it's one of the things that drives me, like, I don't know how to fix this, but I know conversations required to do it. Right. But I want there, there's something so beautiful about the church and intentional spaces to talk about God. And, and I need to preserve it. And if any way, shape or form I can help, I'm happy to do so. Well, yeah. And so that's what I think is going to happen. I don't think, I think the traditional structures, like everything else in our society has been completely decimated uh, as for traditional structures. Right. I mean, you think about, even the family, even, um, I don't know, like all the ways that you used yeah, to get things everything. out, right? I mean, tell, you know, media, everything by the internet has just kind of, kind of destroyed it. And I think that's starting to happen with the church because we're always like 50 years behind anyway. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's what's starting to happen. I think that people are abandoning the church 
the traditional church, but they're not necessarily abandoning Jesus. They're not abandoning God. Right. They're looking for him. Um, and they're finding him in new places. And uh, I think that actually is kind of amazing and kind of cool. I think there's a, I heard um, Greg Boyd, I think you've had Greg Boyd on, haven't you? He, he melted my brain. He's one of the smartest yeah. people I've ever talked yeah. to. But yeah. I don't think, yeah. I think this was on his show with Keith Giles, actually, who I know you've had on. Um, he said uh, that he thought that there was a new, it's kind of a new reformation, right? So if the reformation before kind of, fix some theological things. He said, we're fixing some political things now, which I think is really kind of fascinating. And I think it'll make the church look a little bit different. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Phyllis Pickles, like uh, Great Rummage Sale? Or, uh, that's might be the wrong metaphor, but are you no. familiar with that uh-uh. phrasing at all? No, tell me about it. So she has, and I can't remember the book. Um, it's easy enough to Google. You can just Google Phyllis Tickle, Tickle spelled just how you think it would be. Uh, and rummage sale, and she argues that like, every 500 years there's a tectonic shift in uh, in people's hearts and in culture and in religion. Like if you go back through our church, I mean, just like last October, we had like 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and now we're going through all of this. And if you go back prior to that, you know, you've got the different councils and creeds. And if you go back prior to that, you know, every 500 years as you go back through history, you can see something that changed. You know, so it might be the Gutenberg Press. Mm-hmm. So now people have, I don't have to know Latin. Like I can get the Bible in my actual language. This is fantastic. And it changes the way that we talk and think about God. And so it changes the church. And I think that, and you alluded to a minute ago, like we're in the middle of that. I'd agree with Greg and, and Keith, whoever said it, that, I mean, the fact that I can access the Ethiopian version of the canon of their gospel <laughs> and read it and wrestle with it on my iPhone. And I don't have to go to some library to do it changes the way that I can think about God. Not the way that I should think about God, but the way that I can think about God. Right. And so I, we're right in the middle of that. Like, I have no idea what the future looks like. It is exciting, but it's going to be painful. All change is painful. Um, all change is painful. Indeed. Growing is painful a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I give my kids ibuprofen all the time because they say, my legs hurt. Right. And I'll watch them sprout up half an inch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Gro- yeah. Growing is a... Uh, I mean, yeah, you think about what has happening at a cellular level, right? Things, energy's exploding and there's all this stuff yeah. that you can't see, but it's happening there. And that's, you know, I think we're seeing that on a, on a society level too. That's cool. I love talking about stuff like that. Hmm. Um, man. All right. That's good. Hey, Seth, I, I appreciate you being here and sharing a little bit of your story. Um, I think I appreciate that you're out there kind of wrestling with things and letting, letting there be a space where people can, ask the questions. Um, and I believe deeply and wholeheartedly that that's leading people closer to God, not further away from him. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, or leave you with. So I would, I would leave you with something I say on my show all the time. Like God is bigger than he was yesterday or she was yesterday, whatever pronoun you want to attach to that. And that is both terrifying and comforting at the same time. And it's intentionally supposed to be so. So whatever it is that you're questioning, question it. It's worth questioning or you wouldn't be questioning it. You shouldn't be ashamed of any of that. Uh, and, and if you allow it, if you'll work through that brokenness, you'll become a bigger person. Not a better person, definitely not, but a bigger person and a more, a more patient version of you. So that's, I guess that's all I would say to that. Yeah, friends. That's what's happened for me. 
I love that. Friends, do not be afraid to ask the questions. You don't know where they're going to lead you, but they, uh, as long as you trust the Lord, he will lead you to himself. Friends, you can find Seth at canisaythisatchurch.com and in uh, podcast apps everywhere. Just search for Can I Say This At Church. Uh, definitely some interesting conversations. We've mentioned a few of your episodes, uh, but they are worth, uh, especially if you're in those places of, of asking questions, worth uh, checking out and walking a little bit with Seth on the journey. So, Seth, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. I uh, was glad to connect with you. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for having me. Thanks for asking me to be on.